0: Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the possible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm
1: Adam Booker. It's going to be a really silly question Adam, but how are you doing? I am actually kind of fine. Okay. Uh I yeah, it's life. Life is life. <laughs> Football isn't it? It's such it's it's a
0: strange one, isn't it? Because when you think about it, it literally doesn't matter at all. It's it's just a fabricated game of nonsense, but I don't know about you. My my mood's not it's not been foul. Like you know, I've not been walking around the house just randomly kicking things out of anger, but it's just been like just numb. That's what that's probably the best word, just numb. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I've made it pretty clear on this podcast before that if we had lost at Ellen Road at the weekend, I would have been a lot angrier and a lot more Mm. depressed than what happened at the Bernabeu.
0: Yeah, yeah. Strange on that, isn't it? Two sets of uh, Los Blancos, and it's the Real Madrid one who's... Whose defeat maybe didn't hurt as much, or, or hypothetical defeat. Um, we'll get into that then. Obviously, it's been a while, hasn't it? Actually, we, we didn't do one after the Leeds game. That was a 4-0 win. That was a great time. That was a happy time, yeah. unlike these, uh, unlike these grey days that we've had since the Real Madrid game. But yeah, did you have a nice, have a nice weekend off? You were gallivanting across the across the states, I believe.
1: Yeah, it was nice. Drove up to my girlfriend's family to see them before we move across the country. It was a nice uh, 10 hour drive each direction, (laughs) casual. Um, But no, it was nice. It's up in upstate New York, up in the mountains. Got to go hiking by some pretty rivers. And Mm. uh, yeah, it was a nice time overall
0: well it was, a, it was another bank holiday weekend there in the UK and i spent it in the uh, in the lovely town of Chesterfield watching some non league football stockport county on the brink of a football league return which was superb um so yeah so apologies for that we we are back and you know picking a good a good date to come back as it goes um we decided to to leave leave it a couple of days after the burnabout nonsense before trying to pick our way through it and and we promise we won't try and open up as those old wounds that are just starting to heal. But um, but briefly then, we, we do have to speak about it. It is important. City out of the Champions League. How did you react then to that absolute bizarre evening's football at the Santiago Bernabeu?
1: I think it was just a bit more of a stunned feeling than anything else, um, especially because... We had the feeling, obviously, that City had done enough to get themselves Mm -hmm. to a second consecutive final. You know, they had a two-goal lead and going into stoppage time in the tie. Um, But overall, I'm not one to, you know, kick a door down or punch a hole in the wall out of a football result the way that I – show my anger is by just not speaking and (laughs) sitting and like stewing and vibrating in my chair. Um, But for me personally, actually, it was kind of a weird day because immediately at the full-time whistle, my girlfriend and I had to run and go meet up with my sister and some friends to go out to our first post-COVID, I mean, if you can call it post-COVID, but first concert since covid mm. had started yeah and it's one of my all-time favorite bands and they were in my my town here and it was an incredible incredible afternoon and evening um so i had to like totally switch out mm. of. i texted my my um my sister and her fiance, who is a huge lifelong liverpool fan and i said don't utter a fucking word <laughs> and then that was it we didn't talk about football the rest of the night
0: <laughs> yeah it's therapeutic that isn't it i remember after the derby at the Etihad. Um, It was the one where City could have won the league against Manchester United and obviously... That Was another traumatic day, but City 2 0 up and end up losing 3 2. Um, oh, it's happening too often, all the uh, unearthing all of these these past traumas. But yeah, I, I was actually meeting my mum in Manchester that same night for a concert, and I, I, on the way there, I was like a little child who'd just been told that they couldn't have any more sweets or they weren't able to go on their Xbox because I was proper grumpy and I you know, I'd have been. An adult, I was, you know, I wasn't just like a little child at that time. But, um, but yeah, it was a, it was a nice, it was a really good evening, one that will, you know, stick by me for a long time because you do remove yourself from that sort of immediate bubble, and it, it's different. Um, but, but in terms of this game for me, it was completely different after full time. I just went, I huffed, I puffed. I got a bottle of red wine. I went upstairs to my bedroom. I opened said bottle of red wine. And then the last time I touched that bottle of red wine was when it was empty. And then in the <laughs> early hours of the morning, decided to decided to try and fall asleep. But I think the one thing that hurts the most for me isn't the immediate aftermath, because you can deal with that and you can pick through it and whatnot. It's that initial moment when you wake up the next day and you know everything's okay and you you, you just normal wake up and then like a millisecond later it hits you that actually that just happened and that I think that's probably the most sinking part for me
1: yeah it was I don't know I've been I'll have these moments of sheer depression but they'll only last about 30 seconds yeah, yeah. and then I still kind of realize that there's for me bigger fish to fry and there's like it's one thing if if that was like maybe the final and it's like now we've got to wait 12 weeks for football like 12 weeks yeah, to put things yeah. right whereas in many ways there's still avenues for city to put things right this season um, I've been very adamant on this podcast that my view on a successful season for this club is always you win the league and anything other than that is a bonus so. I, think, I still think that City are in pole position to have a, another fantastic season. And I think that's probably the thing to focus on for City fans now is just maybe avoid social media for a bit <laughs> um, like I have the last few days and um, look forward to hopefully a, a Premier League trophy in the next couple of weeks.
0: I don't know how many people will listen to this podcast. I'm going to put out a, a, a slight guess and say it's probably not going to be our most listened of all time, but you have to be some sort of sadist to be putting yourself through a Manchester City podcast this this soon after the Real Madrid, uh, the Real Madrid game, so I, I salute absolutely everyone who's listening along, but yeah, it is it, it is strange, isn't it? I think for me, ironically actually, I, I, I wasn't too bad after the Chelsea final last season. I thought... City made a Champions League final, that's superb. How many teams win it in their first season? Again, after the Real Madrid game, I wasn't too, I I wasn't like like you, I wasn't angry, I wasn't, you know, enraged, I wasn't, you know, let down. Well, let down maybe, but I just felt as if, like, it happens. And I've, I've said this in a couple of tweets and an article as well, but if there's one team in world football where that's going to happen. And if there's one competition in world football where that's going to happen, and if there's one stadium in world football where that's going to happen, it was Real Madrid in the Champions League at the Bernabeu. And the stars didn't just align really for Real Madrid, did they? The bloody, the planets, the solar systems, the gods, the any supernatural being imaginable aligned at that moment in time for Real Madrid. And and you really do have to hold your hands up and say, yeah. That's Real Madrid in the Champions League at the Bernabéu. It happens. It's happened this season. Let's put it, the City are not the first pe- people or the first team to experience that, albeit in that fashion maybe, but you know, I don't know what people were expecting until it's done. And we've said this before, until it's done in the Champions League against Real Madrid, it isn't done.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's funny you mentioned the, the final against Chelsea last year because... The morning after the the Chelsea game, I had to drive about three and a half hours to go watch the Portland Timbers, who are, of course, my uh, MLS club, uh, play an away day in, in Philadelphia. And um, those three and a half hours, all I did was consume content and analysis of the final because i wanted to understand what went wrong and which i mean we we all kind of know what went wrong but like i just i guess looking for the confirmation from every single outlet and podcast and whatever i could Mm. find whereas i have yet to read anything i've yet to listen to anything i probably never will um about the game on wednesday night because it's just one of those hold your hands up and yeah how do you think like how do we think qpr fans felt in, in 2012 you know yeah like qpr wasn't wasn't pointing fingers at nada manua and saying you should have done this or, or sean yeah. Wright phillips should have done this <laughs> or you know like but there's nothing that could have been done about that moment it was a couple of flicked headers in stoppage time and let's be honest city aren't built to deal with situations like this they aren't built to deal with the, the chaos and mm. come from come from behind victories and things like that and once those two goals went in, I think it was kind of the feeling was there's there's no goal in this for City. I mean, that was the feeling that I had. I don't know about other more optimistic mm. people. Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, you're spot on that it was it is still a bit of a different feeling from uh Chelsea last year.
0: It's interesting because I was I've actually been completely opposite to you there. After the Chelsea game, I I enjoyed a detox from football. And I say a detox from football. I enjoyed a detox from Manchester City because I, I remember vicerously following the League One playoff final, I think it was the next day. I think Blackpool were playing Lincoln City and I was really engrossed in that. But you know, that that's just the sort of person I am and, and the sort of the, the presence football has in my life. But I, I enjoyed not taking anything in from that final. And I only really Recently, there was a thread on Twitter from a few people and speaking about the the Champions League final and how the goal was it or w- would a defensive midfielder have made a difference? Yes or no? And that's the first time I really watched that those highlights back. I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you anything that happened before the goal or anything that happened after it. It's just sort of a bit of a blur. But for this Real Madrid game, rather surprisingly, I was I was open to taking stuff in and and I remember that at the night time I was reading match reports from you know prominent journalists and. Um, I think Barney Rone in The Guardian, he, he, he basically summed it up perfectly by saying control loses to chaos. chaos, and that's exactly what it was. I think that, you know, if you've got five words to sum it up, that's, that's what you say. Um, the day after, I wrote, I wrote a piece for City Report essentially saying that, you know, okay, it's, it's Damning, it's really tough to take, but that result and that tie is probably one of the best Champions League ties of all time. And if City fans can take anything from it, it's that you know there is potentially some future in this competition for City fans. And our own manager has mo- mentioned numerous times about the fact City don't have heritage or prestige in this competition. That might not come until we win the trophy, but it's games like this I feel where. You have them the incredible moments, like the say atletico quarter final digging in digging in deep to get through, but then you also have to balance that across the the negative moments and as well and city will win a champions league, I'm confident of saying that i I'm not confident of saying when it will be, and you know if I'm to go on record, do I think Guardiola does it perhaps maybe not, but the foundation's being built, and yeah, it hurts, it really does hurt, doesn't it but nights like that semi-finals against real madrid all you have to do is look at the 2015 16 one where it was a non event from the first whistle and then this one where real madrid are, are extremely fortunate to beat manchester city across two legs it's it's quite the journey has not it that that's i guess what i'm trying to say
1: it has been quite the journey and it's it's a, a new feeling still feeling like you're the favorite in big ties mm. like this as as city were you know going into that that 2015 um 16 campaign uh i i said on last week's episode that i still felt like an imposter at the time that city yeah. didn't didn't deserve to be in in champions league semifinals with clubs like real madrid and barcelona and Bayern munich's um but they do now and you're spot on that eventually one is going to come it's just it's going to come that this is a club that is built for long-term success mm. this is a club that's built to remain successful if and when Shake Mansour sells the club or whatever, you know, this isn't a club that is now hanging on every single dime of his, of his purse. Um, And yeah, it's a club built for long-term sustainability and success. And eventually it's going to come. And just like all the other trophies came, uh, it, it eventually will come. And like you said, there's, there is just this feeling of some of the clubs with the heritage and, The decisions won't always go your way. The bounces won't always go your way. Whether you feel it's some sort of corruption from referees or just the gods putting a divot in the grass, things just don't go your way at times. Mm. Um, And City will continue to learn from things like this. Every single step of this Champions League journey for this club has been a learning process, whether it was struggling to get out of the groups between kind of 2012, 2014, 2015 – to figuring out how to get past the round of 16, to getting past the quarterfinal, to getting through a semifinal, mm. eventually City are going to get into big, uh, you know, Champions League penalty shootouts as, yeah. as well. Which that's something we've never experienced. Whereas the you've got guys like Sergio Ramos and and players like that that have probably taken ten mm. Champions League penalties that you know your season is on the line, and, and there's just going to be so many different things that City are going to have to learn as a club. No matter how much experience you bring in 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 players or managers, as a club, it's something you kind of have to learn together. And I think this was another stepping stone in that.
0: Indeed, indeed. And again, from the last podcast, I said myself, um, Real Madrid have won the Champions League or the European Cup thirteen times. City haven't even competed in the Champions League 13 times, let alone been close to winning it. And again, I'll reiterate, that was City's third Champions League semi-final two of those have come in the last 12 months so there is there is immeasurable progress being made and you know maybe next season City get knocked tight in the round of 16 I don't know we're not there yet and we don't know what the team will be like at the moment but you have to sort of balance the disappointment and the negativity against the fact that you know yes yeah, City are making huge strides in this competition and I think I've, you, you've banged this drum quite a few times, actually, Adam. And, you know, people like to put PSG and City in the same bracket and in, in sort of, you know, multi-billionaire owners, similar parts of the world, not necessarily being at the top table in, in European football for a long time, burst on the scene, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure you can make your own comparisons. But the one major difference here is... PSG does feel like a, a rich man's toy, doesn't it? And you know, you look at the, the transfer policies and how how long ago was it that everyone was hailing PSG's transfer window as the best of all time? You know, they got Donna Donnarumma, Lionel Messi, Sergio Ramos. Exactly how many of those have been successes? Maybe Donnarumma. Other than that, all three of them. The rest of them, maybe maybe leaving uh, Hakimi as well. He's another one. Whereas um, you look at City and the recruitment is. It isn't just this sort of flash sale. How can we bring in a big name? There is there is method to the madness at times, isn't there? And okay, maybe in situations where eighty seconds pass by in the Bernabeu in a Champions League semi final, two goals go in, and suddenly it looks as if like the entire project is collapsing around you. But this isn't. I, I don't think it's fair to sort of put this in the same bracket as the ones we've seen from PSG or you know or, or, or similar similar situations because it really was. It was it was literally it was eighty seconds of of absurdity, and from that point on, the extra time was pretty much meaningless because everyone knew which way it was going to go.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, this I, I just I said it all before. That this club is built to win things like this down the road, and eventually they will win one. And and like the Premier League, when one comes, a few more may come down the line. And let's not forget that clubs like Manchester United and and Liverpool clubs that are, are hailed as European royalty. They're not winning the champions league every single season. No, no. you know what is Sir, Sir Alex had two in 26 years. I mean, yeah. come on the, 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 expectations obviously put on, on this club have been totally outlandish. Um, but when one comes more, more will come, whether it's one every 10 years, one, every three years, whatever it is. Um, it's still, in many ways, a young project. I mean, it feels like we've experienced a whole generation mm. uh, of this club. And we kind of have, you know, with, with players like Vinny and Sergio Aguero, all of them coming and going. But it's still a very young project. Um, and there's still a lot to be learned, on, in, especially in this competition. And, and yeah, it, it will be learned eventually. And, and the hurdles that we haven't been able to jump over will be jumped over.
0: If there's one man who knows what it takes to sort of take a club from, let's say the European middle classes and really make them one of the biggest on the continent, it's Pep Guardiola. Because let's not forget, I think most people who who, who might be listening to this are of similar ages, let's say, and, and, you know, would always have presumed Barcelona growing up to have been one of the greatest teams of all time and have always been there. They didn't win their first European Cup till 1992, They've won what since that? I think it's four. So that just shows you when that first one does come, then it can be it can be a domino effect. And Barcelona, you would have always presumed at this point that that, that they've been there at the top. But do you think in in the the days of Johan Cruyff etc., that people were turning around and going, "Oh, it's an absolute failure"? Of course, it's not because. to use the the perhaps the most overused cliche of all time, Rome wasn't built in a day. City's Champions League journey won't be built in a day. They will be back and, you know, maybe reform happens down the line in the coming years, which makes it harder or easier, I don't know. But when you look at the the format of the competition, City going to be in the knockouts, I'd say, 99 times out of 100 when you play those games. It's just how it's built, big teams go through. And then you get into seven games of absolute luck at the end of the day really and, you know, Fair play to Liverpool. They've made it to the final. They've they've had adversity, but would City have been able to replicate that with with their knockout journey? I'd say confidently, yeah. Would Liverpool have been able to get past Real Madrid in that situation? Possibly, who knows? But it's it's all it's all sort of incomprehensible stuff and it's look of the draw and one team plays three teams the other plays three different teams and it is, it is literally it is literally a, a, an absolute minefield but but one that I'm sure City will navigate down the line let's leave the match alone then a little bit and speak about some of the talking points that have come from it starting with one that I think will be quite an easy question to answer but a frustrating one nonetheless a lot of the result is focused around Pep Guardiola and his knockouts in Champions League. Uh, his record in Champions League knockouts, sorry. Do you think he was to blame for that result? And like I said, I can already imagine the sort of answer you're going to relay. Uh,
1: absolutely not. And Thank I believe you very that much. if 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 you believe that Pep Guardiola could have done something different, that. Um, you're absolutely talking out of your ass. I have posed the question to multiple people now that have said that Pep is to blame. What would he have done differently? What would you do differently if if you believe Pep was to blame? Um, I've yet to get an answer. (laughs) So if you can tell me how Pep Guardiola makes Jack Grealish's two chances go a millimeter inside the post and put the tie to bed – Uh, Let me know if you can tell me how Pep Guardiola makes Casemiro get two yellow cards, deserved yellow cards in the first half. Please let me know if you can tell me how Pep Guardiola stops two flicked headers from going in. Please let me know. And I would absolutely love to hear the answer because what, what could he do any differently? He picked his best lineup. Mm. He made the right substitutions. Kevin De Bruyne needed to come off the field because he couldn't run 10 feet without keeling over. Um, it, you know, he. that's the that's the one thing I've seen, is people are saying, why did you bring your, your best player off in the 70th minute of a Champions League semi-final? City scored the goal afterwards. Yeah,
0: and, and it came sc- from Gundogan. It came from yeah. Gundogan, didn't it? That that little reverse pass into Bernardo. Does that, well, of course, De Bruyne can pull that, that pass off, but is he in that position? Probably not. He was very high up and, and he looked out of sorts, which is strange because he had a rest of the weekend, I know. But that substitution put City in the final, essentially, didn't it? Real yeah. Madrid only needed one goal before that, and it I don't know, it kept the tie alive, you could say.
1: The only people that truly believe Pep Guardiola was to blame are the same people that I reference that don't believe there are any human beings on a football pitch, that they're just robots or video game characters, or people who, who only consume talk sport as their football content. Yeah. That's the only two yeah. people that, that can truly believe Pep Guardiola could have son- done something differently in this tie.
0: And rather disappointingly and it's becoming a common occurrence really this isn't it and maybe it's the state of the industry but I was seeing journalists and members of the media who you know aren't part of that talk sport cult if you like you know they're not part of that let me say something I probably don't really believe just for a little bit of interactions they're esteemed members and, and ones I've respected and, you know, not that they'll be listening to this and suddenly go, oh, for fuck's sake, Amos doesn't respect me anymore. But you, you know what I mean. You know, these people that you, you, you sort of, you, you listen to and you take everything that they have to say in and you maybe disagree with one or two points. But there, there was a lot of people going, that's on Pep, that. And, and again, like you, I've said... What's on Pep? Because it's 80 seconds or 84 seconds, whatever it is. I think Sidlow tweeted the exact number and, and Sidlow isn't that guy before I start getting people at me and stuff like that. Sidlow's Lowe's ace. Um, but the, the, it was 84 seconds or whatever the, the timestamp was. You cannot legislate for that. You cannot legislate for that. You can look back and go, well, if Edison or to start off if Cancello doesn't try and hero ball across into the into the box in the 89th minute, whatever it is, and then Edison doesn't volley it to Courtois as soon as he gets the kickoff. You know, th- there's moments there, which I suppose if we're playing devil's advocate, you could say the manager goes, "Don't kick it long from the kickoff." But you know, this is like. Under eights level of, of input from the manager, like that, sh- that should have been on. A, you know, he sh- a professional goalkeeper should know that or whatnot. Um, so I'm genuinely unsure what more people would have would, would have done. And I suppose everyone's a manager, aren't they, in these situations? Until, like you say, you put it to them and, and you actually question them, um, because that Jack Grealish substitution for what 19 minutes of his 20 minute cameo was looking like a masterstroke. If I, I genuinely have no idea how any of those two chances didn't go in. That Courtois save is we'll put it this way, if Real Madrid go on to lift the Champions League, Courtois idolised forever because that, that, that's what got them there really wasn't it? That that was the second of the two um, but Possibly you can do a little bit better with with the first one. I don't know. He rounds the keeper and it's a tiny bit of a scuff shot, but he's off balance and it's a great defensive block. And you know, it, it is literally, it is literally just one of those things. And I'm not buying the idea that it's a mentality problem and that Pep Guardiola's teams are too emotional or you know they don't know how to see a game out. Blah blah blah. You just have to go back the previous round to the Atletico tie, and that's literally what happened.
1: I mean, it's really just human nature, isn't it? Just looking for somebody to blame yeah, when yeah. you're hurt by something. Fair enough. Uh, you're blaming the wrong person. I'll put. I'll just put that out. I, I think it's such a non-story. Um, just even speaking about Pep's yeah. role in all this, um, but I think the best place to end our discussion on this is the front page of Marca the next morning. Was let God come down and explain it. Yes, yeah, Bob. And Pep Guardiola can't affect God if you believe in that kind of thing. He can't have an impact on what God comes, comes down and does in, in the Madrid night. All right? Yeah, so yeah. move on.
0: Yeah, it, it really was biblical. And I think it's one of those – I personally, and I'm, I'm sure you're the same because we spoke about this, but Real Madrid as a football club aren't highest on the list of teams in Europe that I respect or enjoy, but even still – if we're neutrals in that situation, and I mean like it's literally against any team it's not against United or Liverpool, where we're you know actively willing the other the other team on if we're neutrals in that situation, we're still thinking about that game now aren't we, and it is literally one of those unthinkable unbearable in some senses absolutely intangible football matches that happen they happen and City won the league their first league title with a situation that is even more absurd and even deeper into injury time and and, and sort of encapsulated more factors so let's leave it let's leave that behind um just one then sort of wider wider point another another person who's um had the blame a little bit and had the finger pointed at him and Perhaps maybe from me in this in this episode itself already, but but has been Edison. Um, it's it's a strange one because there was obviously that after the Liverpool FA Cup semi final, there was a lot of fallout about Zach Stefan and his involvement and should Edison have played? And I think a lot of people were going, yes, he probably should, but then you have a cup goalkeeper and you stay loyal and you know you don't get a, a, as good a backup if if you don't play him in the big games, etc., etc., etc. But then there's some suggestions starting to creep up that perhaps City might need a new number one to replace Edison as the you know first-choice goalkeeper. Do you think there's any legs in this for you? I, I presume you don't really remember many of the Real Madrid goals, but I think probably could have done a tiny bit better on the on the first one. Second one's absolutely unsavable, and then the other's a, a penalty. So not necessarily looking at this game, but as a wider picture this season, do you think there's any legs in that?
1: Is there any legs in City needing another number one to replace Ederson? No.
0: I love it. I'm loving the simplicity to these answers today. It's uh, it's incredibly simple, and it's an incredibly like an indictment of the of the mood, I suppose. But yeah, I think it's difficult for Edison, isn't it? Because City is so defensively sound at this point, and Ruben Diaz has elevated City's defensive structure to a place probably only seen under Vincent Kompany. The chances that you concede are are sort of such high, uh, such low quality in in terms of like the the chance of the scoring for the opposition. Like high quality chances, I should say. More, moreover, Um, I'm thinking of that Benzema goal, his first one at the Etihad. Like. It's a quarter chance. It's not even a half chance. It's not even a full chance. He gets it out of nowhere, tucks it into the far corner. And you have a, you have a situation where opposition players are so in, scoring such great goals. Edison doesn't really have a chance to save them, so it looks as if he's you know his shot to save ratio is bad or the numbers don't go in his favour. When you actually look at the chances City concede, you go well. That's a fantastic goal, and there is next to nothing you can do about it.
1: He also makes a lot of big saves. I believe he made a huge one at the Bernabéu that kept City in the tie in the in uh, stoppage time. I'd have to go back 100%. and look. Hundred percent. I don't it, really want honestly, to do really Honestly,
0: yeah. Honestly, probably shouldn't have gone to extra time because at two two, Rodrigo again, he breaks in behind and Edison smothers him, and it's you know, it's an orthodox save. Probably shouldn't be getting beaten there. But in that situation, he was the only one who had a bit of bottle. City really were lucky to get to extra time, in my opinion.
1: Look, City defend from the front. It's it's a lot like Liverpool in the 2020-2021 season in which Liverpool didn't have their, their shooting boots on for the entirety mm-hmm. of the season. They had some injuries, whatever. Um, they didn't press from the front like they usually did. And when they had a lot of shots fired at goal, they conceded a shed load of goals. But people hail Alisson as the greatest coming since, since Christ. <laughs> so, um, look... Ederson is the best goalkeeper in world football for this team. Yeah. I'm not saying Ederson is the best goalkeeper in world football. He's the best goalkeeper in world football for this team. You will not find a goalkeeper anywhere in the world that fits in so seamlessly into this team. He doesn't The thing is is like in order for City to win games, he's he doesn't have to be David De Gea. He mm-hmm. doesn't have to be making mm-hmm. 10 kick saves a game to to stop 10 goals coming in he all ederson needs to do is save the shots that he should be saving which i still think that he does and and city will win most of their games city are the most dominant team in england in the past 5 or 6 years mm-hmm. who was in that it was ederson
0: yeah,
1: yeah you don't need to you don't you don't fix things that aren't broken yeah, again and- i think it's just i think it's just scapegoating i think it's looking for somebody to to convince yourself there's a reason why you're hurt
0: yeah there's a reason Guardiola in his in his second season, having already brought in what was it 20, 30 million odd for Claudio Bravo, then went on and spent another thirty million on Edison because he recognised that he's so crucial in this league in this in this system in the way City wanted to play to have someone who can not only save shots and again, Allison's probably the better shot stopper. I don't think anyone would deny that he's been absolutely crucial for Liverpool this season. One on ones is. Bailed them out a number of times, but then also you in, introduced the, the build-up play sort of thing as well. I, I don't. To, to be fair, I don't think it's probably Edison's most vintage campaign. There were a couple of goals. Most recently, I'm perhaps thinking Watford's at the Etihad, which. In the grand scheme of things, doesn't really matter unless it goes to goal difference. But that was one where maybe he could have positioned himself better, but it's another superb finish. And there's one or two where you think, you know, you could do better there, but can't all goalkeepers. Like it's such a such a difficult position and you come under so much scrutiny. Um, so we've had we've had two questions so far. We've had an absolute What's a refusal for the for the first one, we've had somewhat of a refusal, but I've made the the sort of the the, the weak case for the second. I think this could perhaps be the most uh, controversial or the most talkable, and it's about squad depth because I don't think we've addressed this outright on this podcast before. I think we've we've done a lot on transfers and a lot of who should go, who should come, etc. But I don't think we've actually spoken about the the sort of the philosophy, if you like, of, of Guardiola and and his Size of the squad because 17 first team players, I think it is, and I think we're seeing now that having that number when injuries start to come in and you know, damaging muscle injuries not just knocks, not just little bruises here and there, actual injuries that are going to make players miss months, even months on end perhaps it isn't really the most sustainable model. And we saw it in that Real Madrid two legged tie actually. If Kyle Walker plays, and I, I actually he played sixty minutes of that, and City didn't concede once in the in the other part of that game, they conceded what was it six? I think it was. So you know, there's his importance, and it's the same with a couple of other players, really, isn't it? So, do you think City's squad depth is an issue? Does City need a bigger squad? And then, obviously, if so, in what areas would you be most looking to to bulk her up?
1: Um. Yes, I think City need a bigger squad, Um, and I don't necessarily think that it means we need to bring in a handful of um, 50 million pound players. Um, You only have to go and look at Liverpool. I mean, City fans are going to hate this, but you only have to go and look at Liverpool... And see a really successful way to build squad depth. I mean, yeah. you know, you look at somebody like the the left back Simikas, who I think was like twelve pound, twelve million? Twelve pound. <laughs> According to Liverpool fans, he probably yeah, wasn't. Yeah, 12 the pounds. The
0: net the net spend was twelve pound, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Um, but you know, transfers like that that are City seem to have a gap between. You either have world class, and beneath them mm. you have academy kids. That, that's the kind of gap between, you know, like you're going from, in central midfield, you're going from Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, and Ilkay Gundogan to James McAtee. Mm. James McAtee looks a fantastic player, but there does need to be, in my opinion, you know, one, two, three players in the squad that are kind of in that that area that, that aren't going to demand, um, you know, 30 games a season, but can step in in a, in a Premier League game against you know, maybe a lower to mid table yeah. side, um, and still absolutely hold their own, and and still be better than most of the players that they're playing in the opposition. So I do think that there is some scope for t- to fill out some of the squad depth, but it doesn't mean that we need to go out and get more Jack Grealishes or Bernardo yeah. Silvas or or whoever. Um, and obviously, the the spots that you would want to fill out, I think, obviously, fullback would be one. And I've made the case already on here that I think the midfield needs an overhaul in the next few years. We've got some players coming down to, you know, 33, 34 years old. Um, but like I've said, you know, Phil Foden looks like his future still going to be in midfield, according to Pep Guardiola. James McAtee is way too good for, for youth football. Does he get to step up in the next year or two? Um, so it doesn't necessarily need a, a spending spree, but it, I think it does need a little bit of filling out.
0: Yeah, not to do my best Game of Thrones impression, but um, it does feel like a transition is coming, doesn't it? And that midfield, essentially, is looking like there could be a massive overhaul. You mentioned some of the names there, and I think we're we're sort of... If last season was the the peak of the mountain for Gundogan, we're we're definitely well on the decline. And that's nothing against him. He's, He's been an unbelievable servant, an unbelievable footballer in his career, but... Age catches up with you sometimes, doesn't it? Um, I guess guess, it's weird, isn't it? Because it's another one online where people haven't watched City or you know, casual football fans and us absolute boffins who consume as much as we can. You know, look at the fact that you go, how can you need more? How how can you not have enough squad depth when you spend hundred million pound on Jack Grealish? Blah blah blah. And you're like, no, actually, the number of players hasn't increased tenfold, has it? Just the the players in there and, and players come and go. So it is. I can understand where people look at it and go, well, you've, you've spent X amount of money and you shouldn't be complaining about squad depth. But then the, the issue you have there is, as we saw at the end of last season, you bring players in, they don't play as much as they like. You're thinking of maybe Laporte, uh, Bernardo Silva at one point as well, you know, Ferran Torres. There's a couple of, a couple of um, examples. They get restless and they want to leave. So, it, it's incredibly difficult isn't it to balance that out between having players who want to be there and can literally come like take Zinchenko, for example, they can play fifteen twenty games a season, do an incredible job when they when they're called upon, but then if they're not playing for ten games in that in that campaign or you know there's a there's a spell on the sidelines or not for injury or whatever, they just get on with it, I suppose. One thing I might like City to do, and I'm not sure how well, it, how well it would work in practice, probably more in theory, but maybe look at bringing in players who are... I, I know it sounds stupid because we're talking about players who are ageing, and then I'm going to say replace them with more ageing players. But one example I look at, and that that's worked really well, is Thiago Silva at Chelsea. And I'm not saying, for example, Thiago Silva, the profile player and that sort of defender should come into City, but someone who's been there and done it before maybe once two seasons more in football and they just come in because did Chelsea win the Champions League without Thiago Silva I don't know they do and obviously went off injured in that final but it's just that sort of that added quality that added bit of experience they've been round the block and you're not if needed asking someone like James McAtee to come on and play for example like say Luka Modric at the end of the season goes I've done it here at Real Madrid I want to go and play somewhere else for a year or two, I think City should be all over that because, you you know, you, you, we speak about how you progress as a club in the, in the Champions League and on Europe. It's sometimes those sort of, those players who add a little bit extra into the dressing room and can come on for 25 games in a 55-game season. And I don't know if, if that's the, I, I don't think it's the way Guardiola would operate, but I, I wouldn't mind City going a free transfer here and there just to bulk it up a little bit.
1: I understand that. I think one thing I've kind of always thought about is maybe city utilizing city football group players a bit more. Okay. Um, players like Pedro Poro, who mm. is holding his own at sporting. And, I'd say, yeah. Um, you know, Real Madrid were in for him, uh, or seemed to be in for him this summer, perhaps. And, you know, we're talking 40, 50 million pound uh, transfer fees for a guy like that. Mm. Um so there's players that you can call upon for little to no money that may already be in the system um, that maybe won't demand 30 games a season or maybe will will be open to learning from Kyle Walker yeah, or, yeah. or Ilkai Gundogan or whoever it may be. Um, it's going to be really, really interesting in the next few years to see how this team gets, I won't say rebuilt, but how it gets transitioned into a new phase um, obviously, there's the very serious talks of Erling Haaland coming in. That may affect what City can do financially in the market a, bit, uh, a lot. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. We've seen a lot of kind of weird stories in the last few days in the fallout of, of the, the Champions League exit, like Frank and De Jong being heavily linked to City and players like that. I don't necessarily see things like that as being realistic like 60, 70 million pound players making big moves from big clubs. I think the thing to do is to start filling out the squad with players that are kind of next man up and whether that is Academy players, I think guys like Cole Palmer and James McAtee are ready to play in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. Um, And they, they could be the guys that fill out the depth. I think James McAtee is, is good midfield depth. I do think, like I said earlier, that they're, There does need to be sort of filling in of the gap between world-class first-team player to hopefully going to be good one-day player. Um, But yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. I think there's going to be a lot more movement this summer than maybe many people are expecting.
0: Yeah, me too, me too. Just on the City football group then, before we move on to Newcastle at the weekend, I've often thought the same and you look at City's loan list and I think it was one of the first episodes we did and we're not speaking about the itches or the ofs or, you know, the players who are sent out to one of the partner clubs and you never hear of them again. You know, these these decent, really good players um, that have made sort of impressive performances at, at, at good clubs, Pedro Porro, example. But then you also look at the way city have turned their backs on players in the past and and i think one of the most prominent examples at the moment is is maybe Juranno Rulli who had a an interesting semi-final leg against liverpool and i remember at the time when he was at city thinking oh you know what city could have a player here you know decent goalkeeper um was making moves was looking strong and you you do wonder city have more than often Got it absolutely bong on. Uh, bong on. It's not that playing the jumps. Got it more bang on with their, um, you know, the, the saying yes or no to players who have been in the system. So I wonder if perhaps they maybe look at some of these players and go. They're just not good enough. It's as harsh as that, isn't it? And it looks like Pedro Porro will be staying at Sporting um, with a with an option to buy back, and we've seen that before. And usually, City would be City fans would be like, "Yeah, you know that that's great. We can we can exercise that." But then, never really does happen, does it? And I wonder if that's maybe just the way they look at it and go to be at the top. We don't need this quality player, but we'll then actually, you think in a in a Champions League semi final, if your right backs running on about one percent energy. It's nice to have a natural right back as well.
1: Yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird one for me because we've had players in the past like Angelino, who I yeah, thought was yeah. a very good footballer, and I think he he actually got kind of I didn't like the way he was dealt with at City. No, me neither. Um, you know, I I can remember him playing in in a couple of games against Liverpool and a couple of derbies, and and then people were like, yeah, he's not good enough, and it's like, well, hold on. You yeah. just throw this guy into yeah. the biggest games of the season, and and yeah, with with absolutely no first team play leading up to that. Um Yeah, I, I find City's handling of of CFG players to be a bit bizarre sometimes, but it's making them a lot of money, and it's being able to fund mm. bigger transfers that help the team win trophies. So at the end of the day, can you really complain?
0: No, no, not at all. And let's put it this way: the people who are dealing with that have. Much better insight and much better sort of um, judgment on footballers than you and I. So we'll um, we'll leave that all of that Real Madrid stuff behind then for now. And probably last time we'll mention the Champions League in that context until the group stages in the summer. So we go again, um, and we we go again this weekend. Actually, obviously Newcastle then on Sunday. Opponent wise. A home game, I think, uh, sorry, in terms of context of the game, a home game is crucial, but opponent-wise, I'm not sure you'd hand-pick Newcastle. They're a team who are in really good form. They're a team who traditionally haven't done well against City, but you know, good good things come to an end from a City point of view. Bad things come to an end from a Newcastle point of view. They'll be fancier than the chances. Eddie Howe's another manager who has a woeful record against City. He'll be wanting to make a statement. And on the back of a game like that, a feisty Newcastle team isn't the game you'd handpick, but at the same time, it isn't one that you would turn down if you know you had a 50% chance of flipping it and it could be, I don't know, Tottenham or something like that.
1: Yeah, I I'm not really too worried about it, in all honesty. Oh, no. I think <laughs> I think this I'll not look, I'll knock on my wooden desk, don't yeah. worry. Um I think that this city team has shown in years past that. On a on a macro scale, they stand up to adversity really well. Um, we've seen this exact situation before in 2018, 19, mm, a crushing mm. Champions League defeat, and you bounce back with a big Premier League win at the weekend. Um, and I think that City now will be hell bent on winning the league because it's the last chance to salvage success in the season. Um, I just don't I don't remember seeing this team ever have a hangover from adversity I've se- we've yeah. seen them have hangovers from success but I don't remember ever seeing them have massive hangovers from adversity in fact most of the time when there's a crushing defeat whether it's um, in the league or in a cup or, or whatever it is city tend to bounce back really really strong yeah um, and I the the events at the burn last week haven't changed my outlook on this team at all they they haven't made me think this team is has a weaker mentality than than I thought they had before anything like that that nothing about my outlook on this team has changed and therefore Newcastle at home in a in a crunch Premier League game still I still have a lot of confidence in the team
0: yeah I get that completely you mentioned the president there of of the Spurs game in 2018-19 when City had actually been knocked out by Tottenham a couple of days before and I suppose the the dynamics of that are a little bit different because it's the same team, and they too were celebrating a you know a big a big moment and getting through to the semi-finals. City were, were sort of looking to bounce back, and there was a little bit of revenge there. Um, I guess I, I'm going to do like the the really grumpy thing here and say Liverpool don't drop points against Tottenham; they win that game, so City go into it again, being in second place, needing to win to return themselves to the top. In terms of the context of the season, then and I suppose it is a case of every match as it comes, to use that old managerial cliche, but how important is this match then? Because what are we on now? Four games of the campaign left, Newcastle, Wolves in midweek, West Ham away, and then Aston Villa on the final day. The margin for error has, it's not only slim, but it's disappeared for City now, hasn't it? And unless there's a favour elsewhere from um, Liverpool's opponents, which, for the record, I don't see them dropping another point. I actually don't see them losing another game, including the Champions League final, which is a scary prospect and obviously the FA Cup final there as well. But how important is this game then to make sure that City set the rhythm for what's to come in the next, what, 14 days or so?
1: I don't think it's any more important than before getting knocked out of the Champions League. Um, It was always an important game. Every single Premier League game is equally important from here on out. Um, and it, again, I don't think it matters what Liverpool does, does either. Even if it's funny, I actually think that if Liverpool drop points, the game becomes even more important. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Me too. too. I,
1: I don't think, I think Liverpool winning and, and, you know, jumping city in the table for the time being is the status quo. Um, and I think that's that then if, if Liverpool drop points and now you have this chance to go, you know, three or four points clear, then then maybe it, it gets more more important. Yeah, but yeah. It, it was important five days ago. It's going to be important 10 minutes before kickoff. It, it, like, nothing has changed. I I really, really can't wait for two or three weeks down the line now or even, like, you know, the week leading up to, to the Villa game and the final, final week of the season when we've kind of forgotten about what happened at Real Madrid because mm. I feel like people are letting this real madrid calamity affect everything that's going on at the club when it just it doesn't yeah like city have sw- can switch from competition to competition with no problem they've shown that in years past it was a big game 5 days ago it's a big game now it's a winnable game it's it's newcastle at home newcastle were horrible against liverpool last weekend Mm. they were they were terrible and had they played well they might have actually taken something from that game because liverpool weren't great either but look if city show up and they play the way we expect them to play at the etihad in a big premier league game they'll win the game it's just that simple
0: uh it's weird isn't it you mentioned a little bit before obviously if liverpool drop points then the game becomes more nervy and and weirdly i often find city in the midst of a 18 game winning streak are probably more susceptible to drop points than on the back of a a crushing defeat like this um it's bizarre isn't it and if there's one team in world football you'd back to bounce back after after adversity it probably is city the the list of examples is is longer than most other clubs in in the last decade or so and you just have to back them. that's as simple as it is. You just have to back them. And if Newcastle get something, then it's probably because they deserve it. Because City to to sort of collapse again would be an incredible. Well, it wouldn't be incredible. It'd be fucking atrocious. But it'd be a. It you know it'd be it'd be a turn up for the books. Let's put it that way. Um, just then to wrap up and a little bit of philosophical thinking because i mentioned before we both watch a lot of European football, and and we both take in a lot of different leagues. And across the continent, there are there are some. I think of Spain. I um, think of potentially France as well, where it isn't just their final game of the season that's played on the uh, at the same time. All clubs play at the same time. It's two or three before that. We're obviously in a situation now where Liverpool play all of their remaining fixtures bar the last one of the season before City is that good is that bad that's a debate for another day but do you think then perhaps going forward if you were if you were in the boardrooms of the FA in the Premier League you would be pushing for a situation where you have the the last few games of the campaign all kicking off at the same time or are you quite content with how it's one team plays the other has to chase etc cetera, etc cetera?
1: I don't really have a problem with the the structure now um I think it's just kind of luck of the draw that it, it wound up that way it could have very easily been switching off each week one team playing before the other and the next weekend it's the other way around um and i don't think it really bothers the players that much Mm. typically when the players are asked they don't say that it affects them at all and i kind of tend to believe them um i don't think the players do nearly as much results watching as we do you know they're Mm, they're still going to be focused on on what they have to do. And especially with city, the, the league title is in their hands, they don't need, they they don't need to care what Liverpool are doing. They just need to win their own games. And I think that was the, the message probably in the dressing room in, in 2019. And it's probably the exact same this year. So no, I, I don't necessarily think it needs changing. Um, if there was some sort of pattern of clubs that play first, tend to chase down and win the title and or something like that but i don't think it i don't think it's really an issue I, I seem to remember liverpool playing first pretty often in 2019 as well yeah um and we saw how that turned out so no my, that that might not have been as philosophical as you wanted an answer but um, <laughs> no i wouldn't change anything i this the title of this episode should just be no yeah yeah, yeah quite literally there's been a
0: not much wriggle room. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little bit more of a controversial answer and say that if I was a conspiracy theorist, which I absolutely 100% am, <laughs> I would look at the the way the broadcasters have scheduled the run-in. And I don't think it's a, a favour... Well, I suppose it in Liverpool. You could look at it that way. But I don't think it's a, a sort of an anti-City, pro-Liverpool stance. I think it's more of a pro-chaser, anti-leader stance in, this, in the fact that if City play first, more often than not, they then go, what would it be, four points clear? That sort of doesn't really have much drama for the Liverpool game that follows. And I, See, I think, I think it
1: does. Because now that now the chaser is, is, they have to win. E- either way, if someone drops points in the first game, the other team has to respond. I just I think it doesn't matter either way. No,
0: nah, because I, 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 I do think if you have City going after, it... it sort of makes in my mind anyway it makes the title race go on for for longer than possible because if mm. you know if if Liverpool drop points after that City have a four point lead they can then go seven points you know etc cetera, etc cetera, and you may be getting into a situation where in April there's a, a psychologically sort of unbridgeable gap but um we'll we'll leave we'll leave the absolute nonsense speaking for another episode I'm sure uh before we jump then manchester city women they at the same time as the real madrid second leg a much more successful game for them they beat birmingham women 6-0 so they only need a point in their final game of the season against Reading to secure champions league football so it's nice one city team having a good time of it this week um adam before we get out there have you anything to add football or non-football related
1: i do not i think it's just another uh I think we need another few days off, to be honest. <laughs> just, just hopefully a a fantastic result this weekend, and just kind of reset everything. Get the get the whole wagon running again. Yeah,
0: yeah, it does feel like that game's very important, and I'm sure the nerves will hit on on Sunday morning and whatnot. And, and hopefully, we're back next week. Speaking about uh, another fantastic City win. But until then, if you can, you are new here. Rate, review, subscribe, follow, all of that juicy business. It really, really helps us out. Drop us any questions you might want us to answer or any responses to this episode on our Twitters. You can find them in descriptions. And I suppose you could just search our names. I'm sure they'd pop up. Um, Other than that, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. I've been Ems Murphy.
1: I've been Adam Booker. And until
0: next time, see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running. And just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? at participating restaurants only 18 and plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans